your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. At verse 43. No unfamiliar teaching and very related to what we read in James chapter 3. Luke 6. At verse 43, page 863, it says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So far from God's holy word. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, few things are sweeter or more refreshing than fresh fruit, you know, picked in its season, and few things are more miserable than, you know, hoping for a good piece of fruit and, like, biting into something nasty or something, you know, bitter or something that's unripe uh, or spoiled. Um, you know, the one is so beautiful, the one is so ugly. And the letdown of, like, a mushy apple or, like, a rotten orange or some unripe or spoiled fruit is like, oh, you know, it just, it's, it doesn't kill you, but it's, but it's still like a, like a sudden sadness, like, oh, you know, this couldn't be worse, like the, the expectation and the reality. And it's true in this life that the believer has tasted the difference between the pure and holy love and obedience that comes from Jesus Christ and the spoiled and ugly rottenness of our sins. And this is something then that that is illustrated in the scripture and continues to be a practical illustration for the believer uh, to evaluate our lives with sober judgment, with a right judgment, with honesty. And so in his sermon, Jesus has already been preaching to his disciples about the taste difference between God's ways and the way of the world. And he made practical distinctions about the way that people should act. And he has things to say about our love uh, over and against hatred and how the Christian should know the difference and act accordingly and bear good fruit for love even to our enemies or to the undeserving. Uh, And Jesus has taught about condemnation and judgment as compared with forgiveness and as compared with righteous and just judgment. Uh, And so there are straightforward teachings that are as clear as the taste of good fruit versus like the mushy black banana. Uh, Very simple language from Jesus. He teaches his disciples to trace the fruit of our lips and the actions of our lives down to their roots in the heart. And this is a common way of thinking in the scripture, and Jesus teaches it in a very plain way. And the first thing he does is to talk about the test 
uh, of the fruit. And then he talks about how to trace it down to our heart. And so there's a kind of, you know, mini parable language here. But it's a simple one, right? Kind of a one plus one teaching. It's meant to be what you see is what you get in our lives. No, no like head scratching and wringing of our hands. Like what does it mean? You know, when I look at a life and it's full of good fruit or when I look at my life and it's full of bad fruit, he makes it plain. A good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. And so it should be a simple thing. An apple tree bears apples. And uh, there's no special test to figure that out. Like, what's all over this tree? Oh, you know, I see a hundred apples. I see a thousand apples. Uh, it's an apple tree. And, you know, what's this covered with? It's covered with thorns. Well, it's a thorn tree, you know, or bramble bush makes brambles. And, you know, nobody got lost on that teaching. Nobody, nobody got stunned by that teaching. You never looked for grapes where only thorns grow. You never checked for figs or apples where there was pointy, sort of useless, uh, scratchy, you know, brambles. It's a waste of time. That's the fruit tree test. It's an outward fact-checking kind of test. Closely associated with these words in the previous verses, Jesus warns his disciples to bear the fruits of love and forgiveness as their fruits rather than hatred against others, rather than automatically and heavy you know, judgmental attitudes. What other people, you know, whatever other people say or do, we are required, we need to display God's good gifts in our lives. They need to be showing. They, they, it shouldn't be a big question mark. They should be on display. And this will help us make good judgments and choose carefully about you know, what kind of lives we're living and also what kind of company we keep. You know, for instance, by this simple test, as you know, we should choose our friends, right? We should think about who could be, you know, for us a potential spouse or who we should even do business with in some cases. You know, who, who has ever hiked through a bunch of thorns and brambles and not got scratched, right? Who has ever sort of made their own pathway through like a really rough patch of, of uh, you know, of thorns and, and, you know, nothing happened, right? We get poked, we get scratched, it's, it's a little ugly, it sticks to our clothes. On the other hand, who has ever regretted, like, a pleasant walk through a garden? You know, who has ever regretted going through where there's fruit trees and where there's flowers and it's just a beautiful sight and there's nothing unpleasant about it, difficult about it? You know, it's true, we don't always get to pick who is around us but the believer shouldn't have to make excuses for the company that they choose. And the Bible talks about this thought, you know, bad company corrupts good character. We always say no, no, you know, it's, it's not, but it's not going to be for me, right? I, I can make poor choices in my own words, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't reflect who I really am. And I can make poor choices in the character, you know, the, the, the company that I keep, but that won't affect me and that won't, that won't have any dragging, scratching effect on me. 
It's not, it won't define you know, anything about me. And uh, in this way, we, we, we like to live contradiction. You know, I can, I can be entertained by all kinds of things that are, that are bad fruit, objectively. And it won't affect me, and I'll, I'll be able to maintain, right? I won't waver, I won't slump, I won't fall, I won't be harmed, I won't be cut, as it were. We have all kinds of contradictions in this way. And in that way, we, we play a lot of pretend in the Christian life, and it bears bad fruit. We pretend while we're chewing on a mouthful of thorns. <laughs> we, we pretend that it tastes good by keeping company with sharp-tongued and gossipy and mean-spirited people and being unwilling to, you know, to raise any objection or you know, to make any waves. And it does us harm. We pretend... That rotten fruit is satisfying. You know, I bite into a bad apple, but, but I have to pretend and I have to smile that it's good, and I join in, right, and I don't want to make any waves. I join in with foul language and impure talk. We call sexual immorality a pure fruit when it's full of maggots. It's full of, you know, flies. It's full of, and ultimately leads to death. And we we want to make the test more abstract and more complex than it is. It ought to be a simpler test than we make it. And we shouldn't play around with sins and entertain attitudes that bring spiritual harm. We can't go on crunching on thorns and biting into rotten pears and consuming right along with the world those things that, that uh, are detrimental and bearing fruits, then, uh, that are detrimental to others. So the purity that God has in mind for wisdom that comes from above, it, it has no place for pornography and the sensuality and the love of money and stuff, uh, the selfish attitudes, uh, and the pretending of this culture that feeds on empty things but pretends that they satisfy uh, and that bears the fruits of foolishness and tries to cover for them. You know, if we're not, if we're not in an apple orchard, then we're in the thorn bushes and we can't pretend about it. That's not where faith and obedience to Jesus grows. And so we're, we're confronted often by this, the, this nature, right, of teaching from Christ and from the apostles. You know, what kind, of, what kind of women ought we to be as women of God, right? Our culture would never, would never, ever point to a woman like Sarah, who the Bible says had a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. You know, <laughs> our culture hates this, this teaching. It hates this woman. This woman is brainwashed, right? The Sarah, the Sarah is a fool. The Sarah is going to be trampled. The Sarah, uh, in her meekness, right, is not going to be strong and independent. And, you know, uh, submission is the way to slavery. Submission is the way to, you know, uh, as it were, to the, the worst kind of life, according to our call. Well, which is it, right? There are two different kinds of fruits 
that we can bear. But God's word teaches this very thing, right, for holy women. And according to God, it's very precious. There's nothing rotten or wormy about it. And yet every, you know, every influence of our culture pushes that way. What kind of men should we look up to and what kind of example will a godly man be? but one who loves what is good and is self-controlled and upright and holy and disciplined. This is how Titus describes a godly man. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. You know, uh, as, as uh, the gospel is looking to, to recreate you know, from one man to another this thought, we, we entrust to one another the things of the Lord, and hold firm in them. What sort of children will you be? And what will you show to others as the fruit of your life? And, you know, the message of Scripture is abundantly clear and abundantly direct that children should honor and obey their parents in all things, that this is right in God's sight, and we're like, but hold on, we, you know, we have, all the, we have all kinds of qualifiers, but, but rarely do we appreciate and rarely do we like how clear is the teaching of the tree and its fruit, how, how clear is the standard that Jesus was showing and that the apostles were teaching after him, that there are things that we owe directly to God, and we should get after them and get about them. And we find reasons to make it more complicated. And we find reasons to slow walk it. We find reasons to drag our feet when the tree and its fruit is a rather, it's a rather clear, like it's too light in the room. Like this is, this is seen too easily. I bear, you know, I bear uh, you know, fruits that, that are the opposite of these things. So we want to find and encourage in others, and we have to be encouragers of the good, um, these things which we must be, because the world doesn't encourage us to do so. That's the job of every church member, is to celebrate the good and to find joy in it and to model it and to broadcast it and to set an example for others. Uh, We have to find and encourage godly qualities in others. The believing women here should bear the fruits of a gentle and quiet spirit, of godly submission. These are shown, like James says, particularly, even to perfection. They're shown in control of the tongue, which is very difficult. And they're shown in control of our own attitudes and emotions, about which we like to, oh, I just can't, you know, I have no control. I can't, I can't control myself. And then, you know, eventually I, I come to. Uh, but, but this is the real battle, to be in control of our words, to be in control of our attitudes, and to be full of good works, right? When it talks about adornment, right? That is, what, what, how we appear, what we look like. We would say, you know, my good works, my Christ-like attitude, my gentle words, they are my beauty before God and before the world. You know, these are the things that are hanging from the branches in our lives. And the world, the world rarely sees such a pleasant sight. And 
men likewise are to bear the fruits of a responsible, prayerful, spiritual life. In the church, dependably so, faithful worshiper and a man of prayer, a man that's full of the word of God, a diligent example, particularly when the responsibility is to be a diligent husband and father, all the more. Or is our fruit, you know, mushy and half-hearted and inconsistent? You know, some fruits good and some very sort of pitted and, you know, bug-eaten, as it were, spotty and filled with wormholes and inconsistent. You know, a good tree, a good tree can't help but bear good fruit. And a man of God who can be a builder and a reliable servant in the kingdom of God needs to bear consistently. And sometimes we talk about this, you know, in our men's Bible study. You know, consistency beats all. That, that the man who is determined for the long haul, right, to bear the fruits that come from God will end up bearing many times over. You know, the person who sprints but then is, you know, is winded and can't, you know, can't do any more. Or who, you know, is, is fitful in a spiritual life. I race and then I just stop. I race and then I take a nap. And, you know, it's sort of the tortoise and the hare principle. Consistency beats all in this way. Fruit in season after season after season becomes something very valuable in God's sight. And, you know, it stands to reason that we need to simplify our thinking about our spiritual life so that we can become a consistent example to our families, consistent worshipers and an example within the church, consistent in prayer, consistent about our service. You know, even, even a child can understand, right, that if I wanted to pick an apple, I have to go to the apple tree. And we want it to be uh, a matter of our Christian character that people say, you know, to this tree, this person, I can go and I reliably find from them the fruits of a Christian life. I find reliably from this person as a, as a tree, you know, growing in Christ, I find from them the wisdom of Christ. I find from them the knowledge of spiritual things. I find from them consistency in prayer. I find from them an example that I can, that I can taste and, and know is good. And what an encouragement that is. And this is the testimony that we're seeking from a teaching like this. We check our branches. What's objectively there in my life? Is it the bare minimum? You know, like, like you can tell it's an apple tree, but it's mostly tree and very few apples. Uh, is, it, is it the bare minimum or plenty? You know, there's, there's, there's something there always. This is a self-honesty, a, a sober judgment kind of test. Can we be truthful about what we see? Or are we blind to our own condition? If every activity of this week was a fruit... If we said, okay, I'm going to sort of, I'm going to go through the actions of this week, and every one is a fruit that grew on the tree, then what's there? You know, what happened? And was it particularly Christian? Was it particularly spiritual? Or was it very meager in evidence of a healthy spiritual life? We're, we're to be asking these things. Is there a crop 
you know, for Christ? Are the branches of our life uh, a place where these virtues of the Holy Spirit are growing since God is looking for acts of love and devotion that point to him, since he's looking for acts of love and of sacrifice toward our neighbor that demonstrates I've put their needs before my own and I've treated them the way that I want to be treated. God's looking for the care of, of others rather than you know, the service of self and compassion and forgiveness that demonstrates you know, we're growing with heavenly wisdom and heavenly blessings as our source. We can't help but bear the fruits of forgiveness. We've been forgiven much. God has poured out to us certain things that we can't live without. One of them is his great and steadfast love, and so we love others. One of them is forgiveness, and so we forgive others. And by these fruits, people know that we belong to him and that we've come you know, from him. If we don't know where to start, if, if we say to ourselves, like, I'm not really sure, like, how to evaluate this at all or where to begin, then God has provided for us. He's provided the warmth and the rain, you know, sort of the, everything that's needed um, by way of prayer and by way of the pruning of his word particularly in preaching and in the sacraments. You know, these, are, these are the conditions for growth that God, has, that God has maintained by way of the Sabbath. Keeping the Sabbath is strongly related to maintaining the conditions for fruit-bearing. That's built into the Christian life. God appeals to me from his word, he feeds me at his table. He reminds me of the presence of the Spirit in my life. And he hears our prayers together. And I'm reminded um, of all of these things that God has done to make my life a spiritual walk and not a, you know, sort of a worldly thing. So this is, this is just the beginning. And very often, right, to wander from the Sabbath is to dissipate our spiritual life. And we say, like, you know, I just don't, you know, like, I, I don't feel like anything is coming together. Uh, in no small part, it's because we're off of the pattern that God has provided to spiritually grow and to set the pace and to set the direction for our spiritual walk. Now, if, if just looking at the fruit is the first part of this teaching... Is the, is the very practical beginning. I look at the fruit, what is it? And what is its quality? And what type of fruit is it? Then the next part has to do with, with the root, right? What, what it means about the heart and how it sinks down into the heart. So that, that now is traced. So we test the fruit, but we also trace it. And, you know, it's the trace down to the root, that we're interested in, the roots in the heart. Again, Jesus says it with stunning simplicity, and we make it more complicated than it is if we don't listen in a simple way. There's, there's according to Jesus, good fruits growing from the good word, as it were, that we have treasured in our hearts. 
and there's evil fruits growing, as it were, I guess, from the deceptive treasure, the evil treasure of our hearts, which in no small part is to, is to be deceived and to love and meditate on the ways of this world instead. Right? Those are set apart from one another. Good treasure and evil treasure in our hearts. What have I, what have I stored up? What have I valued? What have I loved more? And how has that borne fruit in my life? So the good or evil treasure inside our hearts is the source of, of what now shows outwardly. And we ought to face that fact rather than suppress it or obscure it and say, no, 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 that's, but that's not the reality about me because that's, that's how the spirituality of this world works. It works with a lot of self-delusion and self-deception. I do these things outwardly, but it doesn't mean anything about my heart. It doesn't mean anything about the condition of my soul. It doesn't mean anything about what's treasured inside. And we break the connection so that we can live how we want while we ignore the implications for the heart. So we're supposed to you know, look at the fruits and you know, follow down to the root. Has our mouth spoken openly about the love of Jesus Christ to others around us, to those who don't know him, to those who love him and desperately need encouragement, to those who are uh, in every way you know, benefiting from hearing his word, being reminded of his promises. You know, a sincere desire to share the gospel, it comes from a heart in which the Spirit has worked real gratitude, real thankfulness for Christ and, and the, the freedom that we have in him. It, it, the, the, the gratitude that we have bubbles up and we have to tell others, you know, this is what God did for me. This is how kindly he treated me. This is how generous he is with me. And we, we show what we treasure. We treasure his life, his freedom, his gifts, and we can't help but tell others. And we have to make a habit of telling others what God has done. What about confessing our sins, right? Confessing, confessing our faults, owning our sins, and confessing them before others. Such humility, confessing to God and to others and making peace. It's humility that comes from a heart that has valued God's forgiveness and treasured it. And, and that has valued the cleansing of Christ and of his sacrifice. And we, we can't help but turn around and do the same. We forgive as we have been forgiven. And we, we are ready to forgive others. And we speak with that kind of kindness. We speak with that kind of gentleness, a soft answer that turns away wrath, and a readiness to forgive many times over, which is radical. And it demonstrates what's taken root in the heart. I know the value of Christ's sacrifice and what God has done for me. And I'm very careful then not to give people what they deserve, lest I receive what I deserve, which is punishment, which is condemnation. I rather, I give people Christ. I give what I have been given, forgiveness and mercy from God. 
Have you spoken kindly to undo anger and diffuse conflict? You know, this kind of peacemaking comes from a heart that values, right, the reconciliation of Jesus. When we put our faith in Jesus, um, um, you know, then we have this powerful root from which would flow that kind of good spiritual fruit. Jesus, the perfect Savior, he bore the fruits of perfection and put them on display. Meekness and humility and obedience to the will of God, even to death on the cross. Obedience to the Father, his sole purpose. It was his food and drink. And his cross shows that pure love of God when he... He displayed it for all as he lived and walked in our midst. And now when we repent and believe in him, we produce the same sacrificial obedience. And it's something that we have to talk about and something that we have to do. Our mouths will tell the story. You know, what comes out of our mouths, it's the fastest indication of what's going on in our hearts And it's the fastest indication of the condition of our fruits and and really of the health of the whole tree. So we have to go out of our way to treasure those things that we have from God and also to bear fruit in them. And to go back and forth between the two and, and, you know, compare them and evaluate them. So we go out of our way to share our joy and our encouragements from God and the care that we have and the wisdom of Christ. And we go out of our way, like it says in Romans, to put to death you know, every wicked thing, every worldly thing in us, strangle out those sins in our lives, especially by way of our words. Because the chilling fact is that every evil word traces also to a root in our hearts. We lie to ourselves when we smell smoke, but we say, well, you know, nothing's nothing's on fire, nothing's burning. We we pretend, right? This is the double-mindedness of, you know, of immature and foolish spirituality. There's smoke, you know, black smoke, as it were, pouring out with our words, and there's, there's fire damage, you know, in our fruit, uh, but, but we say, oh, there's no fire, there's no, you know, there's no damage in the heart. That's a lie. That's a problem. That's a blindness for us. We feel the raindrops, you know, but, but you know, we pretend there's no dark clouds. We're building up, if we are building up resentment towards other people, there's a root of bitterness in our heart. And if we pretend about it, there's a problem. We don't address it at the heart, and it will continue to come out. It will continue to grow. It has to be addressed. But we love to ignore and explain away our sins. And in that way, we love to pretend that there's no connection to the heart. And we have to stop doing this. Right? This, is, this is part of Christian maturity. You know, we, we explain things away. I'm just a stubborn person. You know, it's 
you know, I, got, I get told all the time, it's because, you know, it's because I'm Italian. It's because I'm Puerto Rican. It's because I, it really, is it, or is it because we're sinners? It's because I'm Dutch. <laughs> or, you know, I'm, it's because I'm Hungarian, even worse, you know. Um, is, is it really, or is it because all of us are sinners and because sin so easily takes root in our hearts? It has to be addressed, not explained away. If we, are, if we are willing to peddle and gossip, there's a heart problem. If we resent you know, submission to authority, it's because there's a heart problem. There's a heart condition. It's surely coming right from the condition of envy and covetousness and pride that so easily takes root in the heart you know, that we ignore. We've got to change and repent, not bury such things. If we fire out constant criticism of others, at our spouse, at our co-workers, you know, is it, all, is it always them? It's them. Are we so blind? It's always other people. And, and God has in mind for us to love others, but we find reason to, you know, to, to have fault, fault in everything they do. Is it really them? You know, sometimes it is, but, but really, you know, it's, it's our hearts. It's right there in our hearts. But we, we can't, that we can't see. We can only see the faults of others. We have to admit what we are, that is, easily, easily deceived and flee right, to the humility of Christ and to the repentance that comes from him, admitting to ourselves that we are sinners that depend on God's help to root out sin in our lives, to root out and destroy such attitudes that are unspiritual. And, you know, so check if you are able, check if you dare, to, you know, to trace back the fruits of what you have said this week or what you've done to where they really came from. And many are unwilling, but that's not, that's not Christian maturity. Many are unwilling. They, they won't dare to look because then they would have to do something about it. It's like, oh, I don't want to open the Tupperware that was in the back of the fridge for like six weeks <laughs> what's, you know, what's inside? We don't want to unseal what's in our hearts. And it's, we, we, you know, we do everything we can to avoid it, to trace back the sinful fruits of our lives. And instead of making excuses for them, to address them, you know, to uproot them. And we need to pray that God then would change our hearts, that he would help us to evict you know, the res- you know, sinful residents in our hearts start to pray for the strength that it takes to fight against those and not to pretend. Psalm 1, it points us to the way of faith. It says there, I think particularly about Jesus, but we are bonded to him. Right? It says, the one who delights in God, that person is like a tree Planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, it prospers. Jesus told his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. 
And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Right? This, is from, this is from that famous passage in John 15 where he says, you know, I am the vine and you are the branches. Without, you know, apart from me, you can do nothing. But, but you know, bonded to Jesus, you will bear much fruit. You know, this was the teaching. Faith in him is the key. It's the key. The one that's bonded to him, they share in the fruitfulness that comes from him. And that's very like what we see in Psalm 1. You know, the man, the man that doesn't walk in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, right? This man is so full and so fruitful and his roots are, you know, are in the water and he's evergreen as a tree. This is what it's like to be bonded to Jesus, to be his body. Faith in Jesus, then in our hearts, will, be, will, will bring its matching fruits on the outside, the Pharisees who believed that they could be outwardly clean without addressing the inside of the cup, you know, without addressing the inside of the dish. They were full of decay, and Jesus exposed them. And we read in James a little bit. James popped the bubble, right? And he said that those who claimed to be right with God in their hearts but did nothing for their neighbor, you know, they're without clothes, they're without food. We said this is, this is like the height of hypocrisy, right? This, their, their religion is worthless, their faith. What value is that kind of faith is, you know, the, the argument of James. He, he made it very plain the, with the same, the same clarity that Jesus teaches here, that the sheep, you know, they baa and they don't bark and they don't snarl the way that wolves do. They don't howl. The sheep, they just go bad. <laughs> the sheep do what sheep do. So ask God for purity, right? Purity in the root, in our hearts, and, and a pure harvest, pure fruit. Ask for what David described in Psalm 24. He asked for clean hands and a pure heart. Outward, inward, you know, my actions, my deeds, clean hands and a pure heart, that the outside would match the inside. And this is, this is where we have great confidence from Jesus. This is where we find, particularly in our baptism, such a hopeful testimony, one that's preached and one that's signed to us that Jesus is able to do on the inside what no one else can do. And when we repent and believe in him, that cleansing at the very root of things, at the very, at the very core, is accomplished, we have God's forgiveness. We have his cleansing, his righteousness. And now we appeal to him and we ask him, Lord, these things that I have believed and these things that you have deposited in my heart, let them come to their most beautiful, their fullest, their most fruitful expression. And God loves to answer that spiritual prayer. And he loves to give still more grace and still more strength uh, for an ever-increasing fruitful life and testimony. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're so ready to answer our prayers and to straighten out and to connect more plainly and clearly 
the gifts of Christ that you have deposited in our hearts and soul. Lord, these gifts now to the free and fruitful walk of a holy Christian and spiritual life. So, Lord, we pray that we would put no barrier in between. We pray that we would make no hypocritical disconnect between them and that what we treasure in our hearts we would put to practice in our words and actions. And, Lord, what we are thrilled about by faith in Jesus, your love and forgiveness, uh, your hope and life and glory that will last for eternity, we would value above the things of this world. So, Lord, we pray that we would throw away as trash those things that are trash and treasure what is truly treasure, heavenly wealth, heavenly wisdom that comes from Jesus and him only. Lord, we confess that we have treasured evil things, and they are not to be compared with the purity and the righteousness of Christ. So, Lord, we pray that you would show us with spiritual eyes how to order our priorities and how to change our minds and peel away our love from the things of this world that are passing away and rather be bonded fully and, and completely to Jesus and be fruitful in him who is the true vine. These things we pray, these things we ask with humble hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.